0: Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media, and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Adam Murphy, who, after an extensive career in research insights and innovation, particularly in the beer industry, has founded Curioso to champion a culture of curiosity in the commercial world. Welcome, Adam.
1: Thank you, Darren. Thanks for having me.
0: Curiosity, you know, the uh, the old cliche is it killed the cat. <laughs> Indeed. But uh, it's actually a really important part of the human condition, isn't it?
1: Yeah, indeed. Uh, for, for every cat that it uh, may have killed, it's done some wonderful things, right, in, in terms of putting us on the moon and giving us jazz music and and, and any number of things that have come from uh, humans being curious. Uh, and I, I really believe that you know almost all great discoveries and, and progress has come from one curious person following a hypothesis or a hunch that, that they might have uh, and, and following that through and seeing where it led them until you know, something great has happened uh, and that could be something small, could be something huge. Uh, but I think it it, it really is a, a core part of innovation and progress in many ways.
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, everyone says that uh, curiosity is just a natural part of uh, human beings when we're born, but we sort of seem to lose it along the way, don't we? I know Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, the uh the great uh, British author and educationalist said that the education system has a lot to uh, to answer for.
1: Yeah, well, well, I definitely would agree with Ken there. I think uh, we are all born curious. It's how we survive, right? If, if we weren't curious, we wouldn't wouldn't figure out uh, how to make it out of uh, of being a baby or a, or a toddler. Um, but it, I definitely think that the education system. Uh, as we go through starts to teach us that, that that there is a right answer to things you know we, we learned that one plus one is two and it, it will always equal two um which occasionally I, I I've challenged so if you think of the if you're looking in the sky and you see one cloud and another cloud and the wind blows those two together how many clouds are there in that case one plus one <laughs> equals one right and of course people always talk about one plus one equals three when the the summers was uh the sum of the parts is worth more than the whole. Um, but we do start to learn in school that there is a right answer to, to every question. Um, and to a certain extent uh, or to, to a good extent, that's also then perpetuated in in a lot of um, corporate cultures where young people come into businesses and we we train them the right way to do things and the right answer and the way that the company thinks about uh, a given topic. And, and so we, we in many ways start to discourage people um, from letting their natural curiosity lead them and start to, to steer towards uh, you know things like the all the, the, that we suggest that the the all-knowing leader is what everybody should aspire to be you know that the, the sage that's been in the industry for so long that they know everything that there is to know and people start to mold themselves on that
0: it's interesting because you know you actually see that in small children where you know especially when they're drawing and, you know, they first pick up either a paintbrush or a crayon or something and they just start to draw. And then there's that sort of criticism about, well, what is it? And it doesn't look like the thing it's meant to be. And and the, here's the way you should draw a person and here's the way you draw a house. Yeah. And, and so I absolutely get this thing about, you know, it's where we bring a a perception of what things should be, the way they should be, that starts to mould and reduce that curiosity? Or is it just part of naturally developing our skill sets by learning from others? No,
1: I, I think, uh, by all means, uh, we, we need to grow. And the, the whole point of curiosity is actually to learn then, but uh, not stop at that first answer, I guess. So in that example that you're giving, which is, is all too common, I often start training sessions around design thinking and ideation asking people to draw a house you know you you have a large group say draw a house on a post-it note it's funny how many of them are a little square with a triangle on top and then a rectangular door and a window either side of the door because we've kind of been taught that 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 is the right way i i think that the curious mind then says well why is that a house why can't houses also look like this or or why can't and that's where kids are i find that that one of the things that brings me back to curiosity when when i get lost a bit is just spending time with my kids and talking to them of about things in the way that they see the world because they, they approach things with more questions than answers and, and then try to connect the answers together and, and build on the answers. I think uh, one of the, the behaviors you see in the corporate world uh, that uh, we could do better at is, is not taking the first answer, you know, having questions about the answers, um, but often because of the hustle and bustle, the, the urgency to move projects along. Um, we have a question, we find an answer and an answer is better than no answer. So we, we kind of run with the the first answer there and often there's, there's reasons why we might want to question that answer and, and, uh, try to get beneath it and start to understand more of the complexity around that answer.
0: Um, Because particularly in advertising, there's a belief that curiosity is the the source of creativity. You know, the creative department in an advertising agency, the sheer fact that they're called the creative department means that that's the place that creativity happens. And that those people are naturally curious. That's the the source of their creativity that doesn't seem to occur anywhere else, either in the agency or uh, in the client body.
1: Yeah, I. I it, it's funny how often any discussion around curiosity uh, ends up talk, uh, inevitably talking about creativity as well. And there is a huge amount of uh, curiosity required, I think, to continue to be truly creative. Because if we think of creativity uh, as a as a practice, trying to generate things that are new and things which which violate people's expectations in a way um, then we have to be be willing to look at the world through a different lens and ask questions about why things are how they are and how else could they be Um, a lot of creativity is is kind of asking the question of what might be rather than how how are things Um, but I think that if we if we leave curiosity only to the creative disciplines I've worked in marketing departments in in massive you know um, CPG or, or FMCG organizations and if we just leave curiosity for when we're trying to be creative. We miss so, so many opportunities. Um, and it shouldn't also just be the, the, the gamut in some other organizations, they may say, well, we leave that to the insights people, which is great. Insights teams should be the champions of, of curiosity within organizations and opening out the, the organization's eyes to the, the things it doesn't know, or the beliefs that may not be true, um, or what I call the organization's blindly accepted truths, you know, where we say something is real. Uh, but we actually when you dig down people don't have a lot of evidence behind that and that could be because it was true 20 years ago and it's not true now or it could be because the CEO said it one day so we've all hopped on the the train but behind that idea but curiosity can really help people do uh, a great job even if they're in the wherever they are the the supply chain in the the finance team you know wherever it may be to to say well why do we do things the way that we do why do we why do we the bookkeeping that way maybe there's a different way
0: so i'm getting from the the way you're talking about this that you see curiosity as the source of you know being innovating of of changing things of creating things so in a way you know it is the source of of change it's the source of creativity
1: yeah i i think uh we often kind of box innovation in a particular mindset especially I, i worked in the Consumer goods industry for so long. I think we often kind of box innovation around thinking about new product development and 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 uh, or service innovation. But when you think about innovation in process, or 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 as you said, it's really about change, change in the way that we do things, change in our our processes, change even in you know things like employee policies and things like that. the The, the starting point for so much of that is asking either the question about why are things how they are, or as I said. How might things be different, or how might they be be better? And taking that moment to to pause and look at how else the, the how else that ecosystem might play out, or, or how else that landscape could look, and, and that's one of the challenges um, that, that's very real for for organisations to work through. If you try to be a more curious organisation, is do your does your structure and your processes allow people the time because uh, Curiosity does take a little bit of time, right? It's easy to take the answer we have. It's harder to take a moment to, to look at what other answers might there be. But in my experience, it pays out in pays off in the long run, right? A, a little bit of time spent at the front end to make sure that we're talking about the right problem and that we've got the full extent of information and knowledge and perspectives that, that we could have on that problem it means that you can move much more rapidly at the back end. Um, as you try to solve that problem wherever it might be in the organization.
0: Adam, do you think part of this loss of curiosity in organizations is a factor of size? Because, you know, we often hear about, you know, and everyone points towards startups and when something's small, they're often innovative, they're, they're con- you know, a- agile, they're constantly evolving, they're finding faster and different ways of doing things because it's nice and small. But, you know, you well, I think it's anthrop- anthropologists have, have defined that, you know, once you get to around, I think it's around 150 people in an organisation, that it becomes incredibly difficult for people to just interact with each other in that loose way and that's why we have to have these processes and structures and things that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in some ways become counter to uh, curiosity and innovation.
1: Yeah, I I think uh, size is is certainly uh, or or bigger organisations will have a a harder time um, because, uh, as you said, there's there's more people but but i also look at it from the sense of there's there's often once an organization gets bigger more layers between decision makers and the problem be be the problem understanding consumers or how things work going through the factory or whatever it may be Um, we, we start to end up with layers in between and people become a bit more distant from um you know the source of new knowledge so in the the consumer marketing world, uh, you mentioned you know that I've worked in the beer industry for a long time. It, it becomes more challenging for the, the people who are in decision making roles that maybe aren't involved in our you know consumer insights work or, or spending a lot of time with consumers um, and maybe not spending a lot of time with the category outside of having their whatever it may be CEO hat or GM of marketing hat or whatever whatever it is on. Um, and so you start to see the world only through a certain lens. And it's harder to absorb all the things that are going to happen, especially the change which is there. Um, I have a lot of empathy for for people who have kind of been in an industry or an organisation for a long time and find themselves in a leadership role because, as they've been progressing, the industry's probably been been changing a lot. and And I think think one of the important um, tenets that I that I attach to curiosity is it has to be a, a never ending right. So curiosity is not just the Strong desire for knowledge, as the dictionary that it would say, but for me, it's the, the the ongoing or the perpetual desire for for knowledge because um, the world is complex and we do celebrate sometimes simplicity and we 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 say, hey, I, I love working with that guy because he can really make the the complex simple. For me, that's important, uh, but but I see a big difference between having a deep understanding of a topic because you've curiously explored it and inquired it and then being able to convey that simply is very different to having an overly simplistic view of yeah. that, that that topic or, or ecosystem.
0: Uh, so just going back a step, you know, I, I think some of the best leaders in organisations are the ones that will say they regularly get out of their office and work, walk yeah. around the... Uh, yeah the coal face, the work face, because it's the people doing it on a day-to-day basis that have the best insights, you know, whether it's the factory floor to say there's a better way of reducing waste or improving productivity or, or improving quality, or whether it's the sales team who are giving direct feedback about, you know, the customer interactions and the type of feedback they're getting. It's really important for the decision makers that can make things happen to actually be open to those insights and innovations that are coming from the the, uh, the workfront, isn't
1: it? Yeah, indeed, and and that's been my experience. I I love working with with leaders that are willing to, to commit to that. And and uh, in my time in the, the beer industry, I was lucky to to work with a lot of CEOs and and the other chief the chief sales officers and chief marketing officers uh, through my career that were willing to spend that time not just with the teams to understand what's going on. But also getting out and and connecting with consumers and uh, you know pressing the flesh so, so to speak and and talking to people and observing people and seeing people live and you know, we 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 tried to drive a, a strong culture of, of consumer closeness where we said well we have so many opportunities and I think lots of businesses do where instead of you know, we, we used to go out and do market visits if we were traveling you know to to another uh, one of our markets when I was in the uh, the global team uh, of a beer company and we would often just walk around and look at trade execution on those visits. And we changed that to start to trying to find opportunities to talk with consumers, to interact with consumers while we were there to, to observe them and see the way that they interact with stores. Cause it's one thing to, to, to kind of see are things how the planogram says they're meant to be, but it's another thing to, to notice that consumers are actually having a hard time finding what they want <laughs> in that planogram. So uh, I think that that makes a huge difference in, uh, and I think it can be very empowering for the leader as well. Then right, because the, I think as much as we 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 all love and and, and I think leaders should be the, the great leaders are also very decisive. So you don't want to be curious forever and not actually take action. But I think you can take much stronger actions when you feel that it's based on some a really strong grounding.
0: Well, I think uh, what it gives them is some stories to take back into yeah you know, the C suite and the boardroom. Which is actual stories from the where the sales are occurring. You know, it's great looking at uh, uh, P and Ls and and balance sheets, but when you can tell stories of what's actually driving that yeah. and ways of improving it, it makes it infinitely uh, more more. Uh, compelling. The, the other point you made is this idea of, you know, taking the complex and making it simple. And right. I think the, uh, the quote, and you know everyone says it was Einstein, but it's this idea of making it simpler, but not necessarily simple, because the danger with simple is that it actually loses all it invariably loses the nuance. Yeah. That is what's required for yep. feeding that and answering, you know, or feeding the hunger of curiosity, it's the nuance of a problem where the solution lies, not in the simplicity of the uh, solution.
1: Yeah, indeed, I I really believe, uh, as I I mentioned before, in this idea of having deep understanding conveyed simply. Uh, I think that's really what we crave. Uh, if what if if you have someone with an overly simplistic view of a category in the ecosystem around it, uh, the, the idea that you'll find rich opportunities in there for innovation or, or for, for growth is going to be much less likely. But if you have somebody who actually has spent the time and developed a deep understanding of that e- ecosystem and then can convey it simply so that the opportunities are very clear and, and very rich, um, uh, I think that that's, that's what we appreciate. Because having someone explain that the, the inner details is not great. And the analogy I often use with people is of your GP, right? So if you go to the doctor and the doctor actually has what you would hope, fingers crossed, <laughs> a very rich and detailed understanding of human anatomy, but they rarely say to you, what's happening is, you know, your body, your, your pancreas is not producing enough insulin in order to convert the, the sugars in the food that you're eating. They'll say, you, you have diabetes, right? And and they might say diabetes is a problem where your body can't process sugar well. That's a deep understanding conveyed simply. It's yeah. enough enough information for you to understand, okay? I, I hear oh what my you're God, saying. you and haven't I can,
0: even mentioned yeah. the Krebs cycle there. You know, we could go through all the parts <laughs> of the Krebs cycle for the, uh, the uh, yeah. breakdown of glucose into energy. But look, I, I absolutely get the point. I'm just wondering, though, that, you know, is, is part of this because human beings really struggle with complexity? You know, there's. have you heard of um, the Kinefin framework? It was developed uh, uh, in IBM a few years ago and, and it defines these domains of simple, com- complicated, complex and chaotic. Yeah. And how the hum- human beings, we love the simple because it's all about cause and effect, you know. If you uh, sh- uh, shout abuse at someone and they come and punch you in the nose, there's direct cause and effect. And but as we move into complicated and, and complex, suddenly cause and effect is completely obscured from us. You know, we can at best guess or make a hypothesis, but even then, trying to test it because there's so many variables, it becomes incredibly you know, difficult for us and, and chaotic. Well, we all know about chaos theory. You know, it's it's impossible to actually predict. Yeah. So human beings love to exist in that, that simple because, you know, we don't like thinking, you know, contrary to co- popular belief. Yes, we do have this massive brain. We just don't particularly like using it because it takes too much energy. Is that part of the problem here, that it's easy to follow the rules oh, because well, uh, we don't have to think about it?
1: Well, well, for sure, Darren. I, I think uh, we, we are cognitive misers, right? We, we we are evolutionarily inclined to try to try to minimize the, the use of our brain because we want it to be, you know, ready and aware for that saber toothed tiger that might come around the corner that we, our brain is still still worried about, even though they've been long extinct. Um, so we do want. Simplicity. We do. Uh, there is a reason things like you know the the KISS principle and and these kinds of things do apply. We do find it easier to make decisions. We do find it easier to make forward progress when we can have a simple view of the world. But but I think that uh, what the that that applies to all of us in some way. But there are maybe you call them you know the, the the few the curious that 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 can do a great job of actually. Understanding what's going on behind that that for us and, and uh, digging into to that and uh, helping us then to translate what is a complex ecosystem in a simple way that most people can process it. And if you translate that to a company, I think that's where providing the, the, the right room within the organization, um, by which I mean space, not physical room, but the, the right space in the organization, putting the right people there to go and understand the complexities understand the depth but be able to bring that back to the decision makers and the action takers in a way that that presents it in 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 a at a simple level that, that breaks it down into the parts that are really important for the, the decisions they're going to make I think that's that's where you can be really successful as an organization because you don't get tripped up by the stuff that you're pretending isn't there like it's very easy to pretend you know that there's not a health issue in your segment or that that you uh, you know, that the, the, the pricing of your segment is not intermingled with another alt- alternative that people could choose to, to satisfy that need. It's really easy to overlook those things. What's smarter is to be able to go, we know those are there. Here's how we're going to, to try to, um, to, to to make it simple for people to take action on those.
0: One of the other things that I've noticed in that process is that the rise of what I call the false dichotomies or the false dilemmas, you know, <laughs> that it's, uh, it's become very popular, especially as a sales technique, whether that's internally when you're making recommendations or externally when someone's trying to sell something to your organisation, to reduce all the choices down to you either go for A or B. Because yes. they're the only choices, and the danger, obviously, with that is: have you really considered everything else? That can every problem be reduced to two? Now it's clear why it's two because that makes it very simple.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, it, the, we we do have a, a tendency to uh, to uh, we, we reinforce through culture even the the idea of everything being binary, right? Like very complex discussions, like race, for example. Uh, or, you know, abortion rights, all these, they get reduced and, and politics gets reduced to Liberal and Labor, Republican and Democrat, right? We, we, we reduce these super complex systems down because, as, as I said, we are cognitive misers and we don't want to have to to, to think about it too much. The, the challenge which you see if you take those those kind of political examples that I used is that then in culture, self-fulfilling uh echo chambers form around each of those poles of that idea right and and you know you have if you take that the classic example in the us republicans listening to fox and democrats listening to alternate channels which just
0: keeps cnn <laughs> yeah
1: to, to cnn to to um that those echo chambers just keep reinforcing and actually pulling the poles further away from each other and that can happen in organizations as well if you break everything down into a or b you actually then set up even at the board table, then uh, an arm wrestle, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to decide how we're going to resolve this between A and B, when most uh, issues are are so complex and have so many positions between A and B that that we could take not as compromises, but in understanding that well, actually, there's there's a there's far more um, points of view here that we need and perspectives on this than we need to take than simplifying it to A and B. But it does make for in many organisations quick um decision making because you have other other kind of unspoken rules like the the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion. So you know, well if I go into the room A and B and I think the CEO is on A and I'm betting on A, I, I might as well boil it down to A and B because we'll quickly get A decided and, and we'll move on. So there's reasons that they So they it's exist. expedient. It, it it can be very expedient, right? Whether it gets us to the best answer if C was actually the, the right answer is a different question.
0: <laughs> or or W. Yes, because, you know, and that's the thing that annoys me is that there are often infinite solutions, just as there are infinite strategies, you know, which strategy is defining a solution to a problem or opportunity. So, you know, when there's an infinite, this this, uh, reductive process of reducing it down to its simplest choice of A and B. Is always uh, counter, you know, for me counterintuitive, and it could be because I have a science background.
1: Yeah, I think uh, that that kind of uh, scientific method is a big part. Like scientific method, in a way, is the the codification of curiosity, right? It kind of tells you how to do it. But but just to your your point about how how frustrating it can be when we take the A and B when it could be W. The the other thing that forcing things to be a binary that people then place a bet on and, you know, we plant the flag and, and say we've chosen a, um, it's, that it also doesn't leave room for adaptation. It, it, it often, uh, forces you to say, we believe raspberry is going to be the flavor of this summer. And now we've locked in on raspberry. We're not willing to evolve and we're not willing to see when a new superfood pops up over the horizon, that actually we should also also be talking about that. You know, it, it, it forces us to, um, to double down and as human beings, you know, we're psychologically inclined to, to then, you know, confirmation bias kicks in and we start to only see reasons why we should keep sticking with A um, when in actual fact, as a, as a company, we might be better off pursuing A, but also looking at W and also experimenting and doing a test with B because any or all of them might, might be the, the right way forward. Mm.
0: I like that, and and thank you for acknowledging the uh, the role of the scientific method. You know, a yeah. lot of people when I talk about the scientific method, their eyes glaze over and they start thinking, "Oh my God!" But in actual fact, uh, practiced properly, and it's it's full it's full of curiosity and even creativity. You know, yep. the the observations are made, the hypothesis is created, which which is a creative process based on observation empirical evidence. And then you put it to a test, you know, you design design a test used, using design thinking to actually create a way of testing how valid that hypothesis is. And it's either uh, proven, disproven or uncertain. And so yep. you just keep going through that process. And yet in business, you hear people talking all the time about test and learn, but it just doesn't seem to be part of the culture of organisations.
1: Yeah, I, I think that there are some organisations where the, that uh, that true test and learn exists, and I think in the uh, with the, the advent of a lot of uh, kind of the services and information businesses uh, that 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 are purely digital, it's it's so much easier, <laughs> right, to to control tests and and uh, do things. So you do see some of those big companies uh, having a very test based approach, and and uh, I've talked with some folks. Uh, and that that work in both even promotion testing for for consumer goods and and retail, um, you know, in the grocery sector, where now in the digital world, you can put lots of tests out there, um, but they have a a challenge. You know, there's some clients that are well and truly entrenched in it. Others that don't so much. And I I think often that that's because test and learn can be treated as um, prove me right or else, right? Like, (laughs) let's do a test. As long as the test says we made the the right choice, whereas test and learn you, you should be assuming that you don't get the first that, that you don't get a complete answer the first time you yeah. test you learn a bit about that you say well now let's change this condition and, and go through and it, it is funny how a b testing um you know which i'm a huge supporter of human centered design which i teach to people uh, as well um they they all really they are centered on the scientific method, <laughs> they, yeah. they all in some way come, come back to that, which is when you look at the span of human history, that's how we got to where we are now. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't forget about it. We shouldn't uh, put it, put it to the, the back of the room. That's how we put, we ended polio and how we, we put rockets into space and, and that's how the internet works, right? There's people following wow. that, that approach.
0: Yeah, the the scientific method from the the time of the Enlightenment has actually improved the living standards of the human race unbelievably. You know, yeah. we could always, if people want to deny science, then go back to the Dark Ages. You know, yeah. Um and and low, uh, short, uh, short lifespans and uh, high infant mortality rates and and the thing. You know, we've been, created an incredible world that uh, is increasingly dealing with all of the problems we've created for ourselves as part of that.
1: Yeah, for, for sure. And one of the examples through that journey of time that I talk to people when I'm talking about that, that idea that I mentioned of the blindly accepted truths that might exist in your organisation, which every organisation has them, um, but one blindly accepted truth in culture and, and humanity uh, more broadly um, was that moldy bread is bad and you should get rid of it and destroy it, right? Except, you know, some smart person thought. I wonder what what the mold's all about. I wonder <laughs> wonder if there's anything <laughs> good about the mold, right? And we now we have penicillin, right? You get a cold, you go. They give you some amoxicillin, and away you go. All that came back to someone being curious about. Well, what is the mold on bread? And I wonder if there's any wonder if there's any upside to.
0: Well <laughs> to, it was actually it an in. accident. He left the plates out, I think the story yeah. goes, but that could be uh, yeah. apocryphal anyway. Look, yeah. um Adam, I, I'm really curious about how you because you've set up this uh, this practice, this business to help organization, organizations embrace curiosity, right? Yep. And what I've seen in the past is large organisations getting a innovation department, that, yep. which, as you say, ends up focusing on new product development rather than using it. It must be more than just having a group of people focusing on this. How do you go about building a culture of curiosity?
1: Yeah, it it, uh, it most certainly has to be uh, an organisation-wide um Commitment, right? To 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 be a more curious organization. Um, you, you mentioned innovation departments being set up. You also see uh uh incubators, um disrupt, disruptive growth organizations. Different companies call them different things. Where where companies will set up a if you want to call it a side business in <laughs> in curiosity or innovation. Um, to a certain extent, that can work. And I think that that comes back to your earlier points about we we do seem to. F- naturally feel that there's more curiosity uh, and and creativity and innovation in startups where people are closer to the the consumer still they're closer to the problem still they're they're doing something new so there isn't a hundred years of patent knowledge and behavior to to base it on. but I think the challenge if if you do that and I did work in a big organization that that had that approach is that um it starts to kind of become as you talked about the creative department that people say, oh, well, that happens over there. I don't need to be curious those guys over there look after that if this is this is one of those problems we'll let let those guys worry about it but as we talked about the the, the um the, the ability to create and innovate and do things differently exists all throughout the, the organization um and and as i've started to to work with companies talking about this it, it's, it's really clear that we have to have there's kind of two levels at which we have to have the discussion the first and most important is we have to have leadership who's on board with the the idea um, of being a creative uh, culture, because if from the top, if if the values and beliefs of the organisation don't encourage curiosity, and even if it's unintentional, many of them sometimes discourage curiosity. Um, then there's no point me or someone like me coming and training teams within the organisation to to be more curious and follow the scientific uh, method and and to inquire before but before they take action. Because people will then, you know, their ideas won't make it through the the, the decision making levels. So, I, I talk a lot to people about values and beliefs, and then also the the rituals and the behaviors, and even the leadership style of the organization. Is it one which encourages curiosity, or are there certain phrases um, or big rituals that you have, or even the uh, with one organization looking at the awards that, that that they give? Do any of the awards recognize experimentation failure curiosity uh or do they only focus on results but uh when i talk about phrases it's you know having been an insights person for a long time you hate hearing the phrase i don't need research to tell me that dot 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 right that 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 tells a curious person who might have been trying to move your organization a little bit forward or in a little bit of a different direction or to discover option w that you were talking about to say uh, I, I won't try anymore, <laughs> right? Like if, if that's the case. So it can be really small things sometimes, but if culturally it's not there, then if once that is 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 bought into by leadership, then you can look at structure and process. Do people have the right time to be, uh, to, to apply the process, to experiment, test, learn, experiment, test, learn. Do they have the right resources to do that? And then finally capability. Do they have, do they actually have the skills? Because, it is trained out of us in school and we might have been in different companies for 15 years and it has been trained out of us. It's not a, an innate thing that just pops back like, you know, breathing or, or riding a bike, right? You do actually have to reapply yourself, train yourself out of some of the things that have happened. Um, so I think that th- those are the things that are important in making the change and what organizations need to make all of that happen is it, is it some kind of champion or inspiration for, you know, for, for, for what could be better, um, whether that's someone internal or external, to to, to excite them um, about? Yeah, we could actually be better if we if we follow this way.
0: It's interesting what you say about top down because you know they part of it is redefining what success looks like, and success is not just doing the same thing over and over again. Success is, in many ways, uh, you know, the Toyota Motor Corporation their uh, their idea of kaizen you know constant yep. improvement this curiosity to constantly find better ways of doing things and and you know one of the things they do is that they move people around the organization yep. into different jobs so that you know cuz part of curiosity can be just giving someone a different perspective yep. you know often people that have the one job for you know 5 10 20 years that's the only way they see the organisation. You move them into yeah. different parts, and suddenly they're seeing a different perspective. And that can, with the in the right culture, trigger new ideas and and innovation.
1: Yeah, I, I think for sure, and I, and I I was lucky enough to live that firsthand. So I, I had had a long career at Nielsen in in different research roles, and, and then uh, and Heiser Bush in Bev, the, the world's largest brewer, offered me a role to to, to move in there and. and established the, the shopper insights practice. And after a couple of years of doing that, the chief sales officer at the time, Bernardo Piva, said to me, um, I want you to, to move into revenue management. And I said, but Bernardo, I don't understand. I'm not a financial guy <laughs> at all. I don't understand much about pricing and margins and profit pools and, and these kinds of things. And he said, but no, but I've got a whole bunch of people in revenue management who know that stuff but what you get that they don't get is people and how people make decisions. And, and so he said, you go in there and learn all that stuff. You just said, you don't know from that part of the business, but also bring what you know, your perspective on pricing, which is how people react to it, to those guys. And it was two of the, two of the most, you know, enjoyable and uh, best growth years of my career and did change the way that we did, did promotions um, around the world. So I think there's a, a lot to be said by, just bringing a different perspective uh, and inviting people's perspective rather than thinking, no, we know how to do revenue management. I'll leave that to those guys. Inviting a new perspective changed the way that those guys approach things as well.
0: It's interesting you should say that because one of the things I say in this data-rich world is that uh, data can tell you what people are doing but it rarely tells you why or what the Indeed. motivation is, you know. And that's why when people say to me, oh, it's uh, all in the data. No, it's not. That can only get you a certain distance. But to really d- go beyond that requires a totally different way of thinking. It's an interesting uh, conundrum that I think the world faces. And, and I think they're trying to answer it with AI. It'll be interesting to see how sophisticated AI can become to solve that problem.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely uh, ha- have a, a special thought <laughs> in terms of the, the, the way that that goes, because I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of challenges to train AI to be able to see the, the, the a lot of insight comes from the the violation of expectations, right? So it, it takes a human mind to be sitting there going, wow, that that is not how that intuitively would have gone, would have been. And now that I see that happening a lot, well, what is this pattern about it? And so uh, I think AI so far is very good at recognizing patterns. I think recognizing the violations of patterns and then and digging into that, there's always going to be a human component. But but I also have this part of me that says, I hope we can, right? I hope we can. I, I think yeah. we'll be good for progress if we can start to, to teach AI to do that. But right where we are today, regardless of how much big data you have um, or sick data or how different people call it, different different things there's there's no uh no match for having a curious human being looking at that and seeing you know r- reading between the lines so to speak <laughs> of of the data and saying this is interesting a lot can be informed by just reading the the data as it is but what's really interesting is this piece over here where this doesn't make any sense we decreased the depth of this promotion but it went 5 times better than it did the week before what was different mm-hmm. <laughs> Was it something contextual? Was it the way that we promoted the promotion? Was it the way we worded the promotion? Was the weather different? <laughs> what, what was it? Um, I think that this is where the, there's a role for, for a curious human um, to, to make sense of this sea of data that we have.
0: Well, a curious human sitting in front of a huge data lake with a terrific algorithm answering all those questions based on the data. Yeah, yeah, indeed, and and that's where that's where we get that perfect uh, match. One of the um, the things that uh, we constantly run into, and I'd love your point of view on this, is the concept of best practice, because it always drives me crazy. At some point, a client, you know, will, will have designed a number of different models for them. For for instance, their roster of agencies, and they'll say to me, "Which which which one's best practice?" And I'll say, "Well, what do you mean?" And they go, "Well, what? Who else is doing this?" And what? They, so I suddenly realise what they mean is common practice, because yeah. they just want to know, "Well, who else is doing it?" How do you answer that one?
1: Well, look, I, I actually think when when we talk about best practice, and and I try to avoid that term, and and talk about you know great examples, right? Uh, because often people take one one example of something that worked and say, well, well this is best practice. But I, I think it ties back to the earlier conversation that we are having about uh, simplicity and complexity, because I think you can generalize something as best practice. If you over generalize an industry or a category or, or a, a type of decision about a, a, a agency rosters um, in terms of saying, well, all agencies are more or less the same. They more or less are trying to do the same things. They've more or less got the same internal expertise and capability. If you do, if you generalize all those things and ignore the simplicity, not, not understand the simplicity and convey it simply, but ignore the simplicity and try and make all agencies the same, then you can probably say, well, best practice would be this, right? Because if, if everybody was the same, then what worked for that agency is going to work for, for this other agency. Um, but I think, uh, it's It's overlooking some of the complexity there, whereas the the best thing is to to look at you know, trying to match examples of which agency looks the most like you was dealing with the same things that you ha- are going through has has the same track record is the same similar objectives and what w- what worked for them is probably better than the common practice because you you may not fit the average you know if we assume that all agencies are average uh that that's not a world I really would would want to
0: hope <laughs> hope yeah. for right. And, and in a complex world, it's, you know, taking every variable into consideration, that would be next to impossible. At yeah. best, you're doing an approximation. And so, yeah. you know, I think it's really about uh, alleviating uh, the individual's fear about, oh, my God, perhaps doing something unique or new for yeah. the first time. So accept that every problem in many ways is unique and every solution could be exactly what's always been done before, hoping for a different outcome or trying something completely new. Look, uh, Adam Murphy, this has been a terrific conversation and one that I would enjoy extending uh, for more time. But unfortunately, we've run out of that time. Thank you so much for uh, coming and having a chat on managing marketing.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Darren. Uh, Really enjoy the conversation and Happy to chat with anybody that wants to talk about curiosity anytime.
0: Fantastic. Look, I've, I've got one question before you go. Yes. And that is, of all the companies that uh, you know of or you're working with in this practice, uh, who do you think is doing it really well?